Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Coffee Break Podcast. These are short podcasts for you to listen to at a coffee break. Developed to give you some quick ideas on how to help you build your desk and business. Now, over to Adrian Mansfield, the Million Pound Biller for today's Coffee Break Podcast. Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast. I'm Adrian Mansfield, and in my 20 plus years in recruitment, I've had a number of million pound years. I've worked in most of the major recruitment markets and in all sales roles within a recruitment agency. I've also run my own company and set up companies both in the UK and in several international locations. Recruitment has given me the opportunity to travel the world and see some of the best and worst places on offer, from Australia to Afghanistan and many more in between. The Million Pound Biller podcast offers those at any level in recruitment tips and ideas from me and my contacts, both inside and outside recruitment, but all from the coalface. Information and ideas that can be taken back to your day-to-day careers and put you on the path to a million pound year. The cornerstone of my success over the years has been my willingness to learn and develop my skills, something I still do every day. Now I'm offering you some of my ideas and thoughts that will allow you to squeeze the most out of your recruitment career, no matter what level you're at and where you're aiming for. Every journey, even one to a million pounds, starts with a single step. So let's take that first step together. Welcome to episode 27 of the Coffee Break podcast. Another week has gone by and with it we start to get to that period in the UK and many other Western countries where the schools start to break up. In recruitment this was always a strange time. The rush to get those last interviews in before the line managers and other DMs left for the holiday season. The odd deal where with a favourable client you might sneak a taster day in before the full start so that you can place a person in August to help your numbers rather than waiting for September. Oh those fun KPIs. Plus, of course, many of us in recruitment take our own breaks and holidays with family. I have to say that when I speak to many in recruitment, the same thing comes back to me, that they almost all take their work away with them. I don't mean that in the way I've discussed before on the podcast, that you go to a place and look for new clients, but rather that your phone and emails are never too far away. And often you can be found on a sun lounger, following up on a client, or at a meal, reading an email and sending on to your team. I've been very guilty of this over the years. I've spent many a period of my holidays answering issues and dealing with clients and internal queries. So many of us go above and beyond for our clients, candidates, and our team members, but I suspect that only one of those three really understand the fact, those of us in our team. Just a quick mention at this point on our sponsor, Forward. If you're looking to get extra resources in to help them over the summer and cover the staff holidays, then the team at Forward can offer resources, virtual PAs, and other services that, as I've said before, are a false multiplier at the best of times, but even more so when your own resources are stretched. Their website is in the description, so please reach out to them and mention Million Pound Biller, and their team will offer a free consultation on what they can help you with. But how many times have you found yourself answering a client's urgent call and simply saying, I'll get on with it, even when you're actually on leave? Let's expect to get extra credit for that kind of work. But equally, I don't think we, as consultants, value that above and beyond stuff. And I'm sure from the client side, it's not understood the level of work we put in for them over and above the normal days of work. Whilst I wouldn't be out shouting about it, I do think we need to educate clients in the work that goes in to help them on a normal day-to-day basis. And this leads me to the week's first topic, the value of service and knowledge. I listened to a good friend, mentor and business partner on a podcast this week. He was being interviewed about his background, particularly in relation to retirement. I've known him for more than a decade now and he has many amazing stories and ideas. But he brought a story up on that podcast that I hadn't heard before. The story was from just after World War II when his dad was stationed in North Africa and was an R&R before coming home. As such, after the war, things were opening up and you could start to see the sights. So being in Egypt, the obvious option was to go and see the pyramids. Now, in those days, you could actually climb the pyramids. 
to get up them was difficult, as were many false areas and tough climb parts. So my friend's dad was approached by a local who explained that for a shilling, the local would show them the route to the top. Back then, that was a reasonable amount of money. Think a helicopter ride over Manhattan-type cost. So not out of reach, but then not throw away money at all. And my dad's friend rejected it, saying, how hard could it be? We'll be able to do that ourselves. I mean, it's frankly, it's just there. Well, they started early in the morning, and by midday, they were not even a third of the way up. And whilst they would have got to the top eventually, no one knew how long, and they were in the midday heat in Cairo. So they turned around and came back down. The once-in-a-lifetime chance to look out over Cairo from the top of a pyramid was gone forever, and all for the want of paying for a professional who would have got them there in a few hours. I love this story, partly for the fact I've never actually been to Cairo. It's a place I would always love to visit one of these days, but mostly for the moral it shows us. But you can do things yourself, but by paying a professional to help you, you will invariably get there quicker and with less stress. This is an obvious direct correlation in recruitment. We all know that clients begrudge paying fees for recruitment services. They often feel they're paying money for old rope. But the facts are they're paying for our professional skills, in the same way they pay an accountant to complete their books or a lawyer to review their contracts. In the case of an accountant and a lawyer's work, the job could be done by the client. There's little an accountant or a lawyer does day to day that you can't do yourself, up to and including representing yourself in court. However, companies are happy to pay for the work of these two groups, and if you've ever engaged with either, you know those costs can be very high. These groups are seen as a requirement for any firm of any size. Any company will have engaged an accountant or solicitor at some point. Many of those are on retainer, i.e. they're paid a monthly fee, whether there's activity or not. And yet, they still bill for the work they do. So these companies are paying just to have their solicitor or accountant on call, and then when they actually ask them to do work, they pay them again. Next time you're in a major city, take a look at the biggest, swankiest glass skyscraper building you can see. Then take a look at the names on the door, and I will bet the majority of the floors will belong to an accountancy or legal practice, or perhaps a consultancy, whatever one of those is these days. These offices have huge rents and overheads. How do you start to be able to afford to work from such offices? You charge your clients retainers and still have them pay for the work you do. Why don't those same firms that are happy to pay twice for a lawyer or accountant have the same view on recruitment? The same issues hold true for recruitment. It's a service that is needed by almost all companies. It's something they could do themselves, but that would take them time, effort and money. And like accountancy and legal problems, if it's done wrong, the costs are even higher than doing it right in the first place. So why not pay for an expert? Well, frankly, because many in recruitment don't act like experts. And before some of you say it, yes, some of these big companies have in-house counsel or their own accountants, as they may have their own in-house recruitment team. But even those firms that have in-house counsels and in-house teams of accountants still retain outside firms to cover legal and accountancy issues. So they're paying three times, in essence. The key is that those other experts don't devalue their worth. In fact, as an industry, they are focused on putting up their fees rather than reducing them. Engage a law firm on a specific task, and they will give you a set of costs, which won't be cheap, but won't be out of reach, but retain them to work for you exclusively and thereby not allowing them to work for your competition, and you will see their fees go up. They are reducing their options to work with other firms as they would have a conflict. So to allow them to focus on you alone, they make you pay for the privilege. How many recruitment firms do you know that put their rates up when they're working exclusively? How many recruitment consultants take on a piece of work they know will be hard to complete for a fee they know isn't worth their time, which invariably means they simply don't do the job in the end of it? 
Experts don't send in shoddy work, don't take on work they know they have no interest in delivering on, and they value their efforts so much they put a premium on their time if they're asked to work exclusively. Until all of us in recruitment start to value what we do and make a client aware of the professional work we do for them, we will be forever seen as parasites, just taking money from companies when in fact we're a service that is valuable and can bring our clients great results. My hope is that we in recruitment can get to be seen in the same light as lawyers and accountants, but that will not happen until we in recruitment see ourselves on those same levels. Perhaps, like accountants and solicitors, we should make people take past tests to get into recruitment and demand that anyone who acts outside our industry standards is barred from working in the sector. I, for one, would embrace that idea. I would hope our industry bodies would too. From what I've seen of the industry bodies, they seem more keen on membership income than forwarding the sector, but that's just my personal soapbox. Moving on to topic two for this week, the future of client meetings. As I said in last week's podcast, I was very excited to attend my first client meeting for 18 months last week. As I'm to move out of lockdown, indeed into Freedom Day on the 19th of July in the UK, I'm hoping we'll see more and more client meetings. However, I think the future of client meetings will change. I was always a big believer in the cold meeting. I've lost count over the years of the number of times that I've used the line, I'm in your area, can I just pop in? Even when I had no plans to be in that area, but really wanted to meet a client. I firmly believe that people buy from people and that the best way for that to happen is for you to meet face-to-face. Face-to-face meetings are critical to building a strong working relationship with clients and my goal will still be to meet with clients as much as possible. That has been impossible for 18 months and will remain so in the parts of the world for a while to come. Good luck with a trip to Australia, this side of 2022 at least. So if they're critical to our success, how do you get from where we have been back to -to face-to-face meetings? Well, I don't expect to be able to use my old line anytime soon. I suspect, like I, like many of you, will only be getting to meet clients after there's been a reasonable amount of interaction beforehand. That means the meetings will be less about learning about the client and more about working with them. When I used the old in-your-area line, it was often so that I could get to meet the people, see their offices or factory, and frankly, learn a great deal about what they did and how they did things. I found that one visit would give me a pretty deep understanding of a company and their business goals. If I'm going to meet a client who I've already had dealings with, I believe they'll expect me to know most of that already. So going in to learn is not going to be part of the plan. Equally, clients will have to take into consideration the views of their staff. And in bigger companies, that means that they reject any external visitors, even after the 19th of July in the UK, unless the meeting is critical to the business. As such, my plans for future meetings will be to come with a plan. I come with ideas on how I can help improve what they do. In short, I come bearing information and knowledge that will improve them. It's no longer about learning about them, rather it's about being their consultant. I'm not sure any company would turn down a meeting if you propose that you have a way to save them time on their hiring whilst giving them access to the top candidates in their space. The question for you is, can you back up the claim? As I say, my goal will always be to meet clients face-to-face. I'm sure, based on my 20 years of experience, that when I do that, I have a deeper and better relationship going forward with that client. As we come out of COVID, that goal will become more challenging. But as with any challenge, those who rise to it and find ways to overcome will be the ones who are most successful. Sure, you can still do business with somebody over the phone or over Zoom, but beware, me and people like me are waiting in that same client's reception for a face-to-face meeting. Who do you think they're going to have a better long-term relationship with? Your face on a screen or me who they've met in real life? Anyway, I hope these ideas have given you something to work on in the coming weeks. I continue to enjoy our interactions on social media. And thank you to those who've joined our Facebook group. As I said, there is more to come on that platform. 
And I'll just urge those of you who listen, become members so that you can be part of the plans we have over there. Also, I'm in the final stages of a process for our YouTube channel. I'm going to launch a new program there in the next month. That will be a step-by-step guide on how to start your own agency. We'll build on tips from this podcast, my 20 plus years of experience of having done it myself, and we'll take you through all the areas of setting up your own agency and all the areas you need to think about when starting out. The goal will be that when you've watched it, you have all the things you need to start up on your own. I'll bring you more on that when it goes live as we're in the final stage of recording it and editing it now. So until then, if you can continue to like and subscribe to this podcast and leave a review wherever you get it, that would be great. And until next week, enjoy the journey.